0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And this is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us here today. Who would have thought that when Danielle Smith became the premier of Alberta, that she and and the federal government might start butting heads on issues? I mean, there was even a a, a photograph of of, them shaking hands. Mind you, the daggers in their eyes, I think, probably told the story. That was a precursor to what we're going through right now. Well, the bombshell out of uh, Alberta these days, of course, is the fact that uh, Premier Smith uh, is talking about opting out of the Canada pension plan. Uh, which as you might have expected has created a swift reaction from the federal government Uh, she says she's got a business case for it Uh, as a matter of fact she's got what they call an independent group that are actually having town hall meetings about this Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second and a lot more about this whole issue with our guest armenial is a a, well canadian economist has been on the radio show many times Uh, CBC describes her as one of Canada's leading progressive economists, uh, senior economist with the Progressive uh, Canada Centre for Policy Alternatives. Uh, You may remember the first time I saw Armin was uh, when she was guesting on uh, the the Lang and O'Leary Exchange back in the old CBC days. What do we happen to those guys? I don't know. But anyway, it's a pleasure to have her back on our podcast here today. Armin, thank you so much for the time today.
1: My great pleasure to be with you, Bill. You're always a great yak.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun talking about something like this. This is a serious issue, uh, not to be dismissed easily. Uh, I guess we sort of saw this coming, uh, and, and I'm referencing the op-ed piece that you had in the Toronto Star just a couple of days ago. Uh, this is not a new idea from from Albertans. As you mentioned in the piece, Jason Kennedy and other people have been talking about this for quite some time. But were you surprised that they've decided to kind of fast-track this now?
1: I think... That's a, You know, that's a great question. And I have to ask myself why they are doing what they are doing when they are doing it. And I think it must have something to do with scoring political points mm-hmm. on other issues like the carbon tax. Like just going after the feds is a great national sport or provincial sport yeah. in Alberta and has been since the 1930s. And there is a genuine hate on for liberals in uh, in Alberta uh, that you know, goes back a few generations. But we really hadn't seen the the urgency to cleave Alberta out of the CPP uh, because in the last week of the provincial campaign, Danielle Smith said nobody was going to touch public pensions mm-hmm. in Alberta, even though she had just been uh, elected leader five months before, a bit more than five months before in October. So this was at the end of May, she said this. And in October, she had been elected leader at the same AGM of the United Conservative Party that endorsed the policy to move away from the CPP. So the timing is, it seems to be more political than anything else, given that she could have chosen to stick to her guns at the end of the election campaign.
0: Uh, yeah, I never believe anybody. In the last week of an election campaign, they'll say and do anything. I guess to get, try to get over that hump, I guess. And and see certainly has done that. Uh, the main thrust of her her argument seems to be uh, about the cost and the and the return on on the uh, the investment. You know, as as we pay into the plan. Uh, And as you mentioned, given the political climate in Alberta, especially their their views on not just any federal government, but a Trudeau federal government, uh, all you have to say is they're screwing us. They're taking more money from us than they should. And boy, that just that that sets off the bomb, doesn't it?
1: A hundred percent. And that is the main claim. You are paying too much. And should we, you know, leave the CPP, you will pay less which has got an eerie echo to it in my ears. Mm -hmm. It kind of rings like Brexit 2.0, which was literally what people were told for years of disinformation. And this will go on for years. You pointed out that they have an engagement uh, process that's in place right now um, with Jim Dinning, who used to be a past finance minister there, leading this supposed engagement process. They had their first meeting yesterday. It will go on for years, the referendum. uh, Legislation is about to be passed. There is no fixed date in it, but we are looking at years and years of this process because even once the referendum is held, should they, should Albertans be convinced like the people in Brexit were convinced to vote leave, despite for years leaning in the side of remain, uh should that happen that isn't the end of the story then seven Mm -hmm. out of ten provinces representing 70 percent of the population of canada also have to agree to whatever terms that the divorce takes place in and uh, we've never seen this happen before that's a higher constitutional. that's a higher bar than changing the canadian constitution actually
0: yeah you got to figure, if they were to go that far, and that's a big if at this stage, as you mentioned in the in the piece, uh, who would the allies be? You would think Scott Moe, because he's got a, a real problem with the federal government, with Trudeau now, and and they've tried to push that. Doug Ford, of course, tried to take the federal government to court, Well, he did, and he lost. So I, I don't know that they have the numbers for it, which is, as you say, probably not even consequential to them right now, because they know this is going to take a long time. But I found it interesting. I was reading the reporting on the meeting from last night, uh, and Denning, of course, is the chair of this committee. Uh, and uh, I think it was a CBC report that basically said uh, of all the people that, that called in, uh if you agreed with it, they kind of said, yeah, okay, thanks for your call. I mean, okay. If you disagreed with it, they debated the caller. Uh, yeah. So this is not an independent uh, in- inquiry. They're not just there to listen. They're trying to sell this, aren't they?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, I was trying to figure out how much do the people that are in charge of this process make in terms of public pensions i found out everything i wanted to know about federal uh public servants Mm. and elected officials and what their pensions could be which as you can imagine are pretty rich Uh, in ontario in 1996 mike harris ended public pensions for uh, elected officials and the story is as clear as mud in alberta about whether they get a pension or not. But I can tell you that in 2020, sorry, in 2021-22 fiscal year, the last year for which we have a report for Alberta, Jim Dinning got over $142,000 as a former MLA. So (laughs) is he getting a pension? Isn't he getting a pension? Unclear to me what that amount of money is for. It isn't described as a pension, but it is a payment to a former MLA. And just to put that in context, the maximum you can get from CPP, wherever you live in Canada, except for Quebec, that's a slightly different story. The maximum you can get is just over $1,300 if you retire at the age of 65. And that's not even $16,000 over the course of an entire year. Mm -hmm. But the average person only collects $777 a month, uh, which is less than $10,000. So here are these people that really don't need CPP to work deciding how CPP is going to work. And it's problematic because in Alberta, so many people commute to Alberta to do the jobs. and, And Alberta employers, especially for the oil and gas sector, really need these people to commute from outside the province. They don't have enough workers. And so those commuters it's unclear when you come in you pay in but when you leave do you get out we don't know what the terms of portability are we don't know what they're going to be proposing it's actually one of the most opaque processes it really is just a political game now uh that i think is about like the official opposition is the provincial premiers the ones that you mentioned Mm -hmm. scott moe doug ford uh, at some level, sometimes the Quebec Premier Legault is part of the resistance, as it was called by Maclean's a few years ago. Sometimes yeah. it's not, doesn't include Legault, but certainly the Western provinces that are, that are outside of BC that are conservatives are, really have deep antipathy to the federal government in all forms. And I think this is a ploy to score political points, to really kind of deepen the divide between liberals and conservatives at the federal level in particular, just showing how this government is not a government for conservative leaning electors, and maybe strengthen the hand of Poliev to get elected.
0: Yeah, I, I want to talk about that in a second, but there's a piece here that I, I found fascinating in your in your op-ed uh about how they they crafted this whole idea and and i guess basically they sat around the table i said okay what 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 can we say to to get people's attention Uh, when you well let's you you're going to pay less and you're going to get more out of it i mean that's that's the easiest sell job around uh but as you mentioned they seem to say okay that's what we want now let's craft some numbers to make that look feasible and and (laughs) as as you point out the the numbers just don't jive here
1: yeah they're they're demanding 53 percent of the assets of the cpp they are saying their their projected assets in 2027 because they recognize it's going to take years to get there but they're projecting that that will be 334 billion dollars that the rest of canada that pays into the pension fund will say sure we'll give you over half of our assets and the only actuarial logic that underlies that you are paying too much is that the Alberta workforce is much younger than any place else in the country. It is the youngest population of any place other than the territories in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, population aging doesn't skip over geography. It isn't like some, uh, it isn't the Alberta advantage. It's just a, 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 partly a factor of all these commuters coming into mm-hmm. uh, Alberta, but also that, you um, the population does tend to have had a higher birth rate for a while. So what we are looking at is definitely something about if they pay less now, or if actually their argument isn't so much that you are paying too much, it's that you're getting too little out of it, which is a function of demographics. Of course, yeah. you're going to be paying more than drawing out when you are younger. That is the nature of contributing to a pension plan. But, uh, you know, the the chickens will come home to roost demographics doesn't skip over geography so we are looking at if they get away with all of this and who knows if they will or not if they do and they pay less now they are going to have to pay more later when they you know when their population starts to age which won't take very long i mean the comparison that might kind of raise people's eyebrows is that china right now is sweating bullets about its aging population, the average age of its workforces in its early 40s. If China is sweating bullets, we should be just tearing our hair out here in Canada. Because that was the result of the one child policy in the 1980s that meant you had fewer, fewer yeah. workers coming into the labor market than exiting the labor market, raising the average age. Well, Here we have, it's totally a function of people moving in and out of Alberta. So portability is important, but also how much are you paying for what? At what age can you collect? If Alberta goes it alone, uh, they are going to have a much, much greater variability in what people are paying in and what they're going to get out. And that is the opposite of what you want a pension fund to do. You want stability. You want to know what you can count on when you retire. Through a public pension plan, and supplement it in whatever way you can.
0: And, and you talk about. You know, the fact that you know okay and the, the Chinese situation and the concern that they have and and of course Alberta' is referencing that but didn't we as a nation go through that about 20 25 years ago I mean yeah you know there because was remember that the discussion was we're, th- it's going to be bankrupt you know, you, yeah. you know it, uh, and they 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 had did a lot of work on it but it seems to be stable and it's got it's got that that consistency that we need now but but we were uh, we thought anyway on the edge of of darkness uh, you know with, not too many years ago
1: Yeah, it was in the 1990s and we Mm -hmm. decided that we were underfunded, grossly underfunded, and we would have to raise our contribution rates because we weren't getting enough young people coming into the labor market. That's, you know, again, the result of decades of falling birth rates as women got more educated and had more reproductive control. So that combination really became wildly clear that we were underfunded in the early 1990s. There There was a big resistance to pay more premiums on an ongoing basis, right? We pay just under 10% 10 of our our wages, combined employer and employee. But together, we put aside about 10% of our wages in the form of CPP, which is a lot of money. But then we can count on thousands and thousands of dollars, sometimes for 30, 35 years after we retire. So you need that money to be there. But I want to say that, when we went through that entire, how much do we pay and how much do we get out? Should we be extending the age of retirement to seventy? I don't know if you remember that was part of the oh, thing. Yeah, is yeah. you know you just pay people less, which has got you know this generation wondering, am I going to have to work till I drop dead? Will it be there for me? I mean, we do this once it once a generation we make fear. <laughs> Fear and confusion, the, the, the overriding dynamic of the discussion. But let's just say we fixed it then. And one of the ways we fixed it was by raising contribution levels, but also investing differently than we were, investing those assets differently. Did you know that last year, CPPIB, the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board's assets, had the highest returns of any public pension asset anywhere in the world, 10% annualized over a 10 year period. It's, you know, it's bigger is better. Alberta is 2.2 million contributors out of almost 20 uh, million contributors. And in their own province, their rate of return is around 7% over 10 years. That three and a bit percent uh, difference will mean you pay less in and get more out so their own logic kind of defies the math it's kind of fantastical math and again it it's very redolent of the brexit uh false promises and fake math
0: well that-
1: if you repeat it often enough, people will buy it.
0: Exactly. But I think one of the other advantages I guess, that they probably perceive here is that, and I've noticed this in my experience, because uh, we'll talk about pensions, et cetera, on the, on the radio show oftentimes. A lot of people just don't get it. They don't understand how this system works. I remember one caller in particular that stood out for me was under the impression this was like a savings account. Yeah, I pay into it, pay into it, and I'm, that's going to sit there at age 65, I can start to draw out. I said, oh, No, no. I said, I said, the money that comes out of your paycheck this week is gone the next day it's gone uh and they are investing it it's it's a it's a financial process but so it's going to be easy for, for the Smith government to dazzle people with numbers here because most people don't know what the numbers are in the first place
1: oh that's so true Bill I couldn't agree with you more these whenever you talk about uh, a story like this uh you know Freeland has said she is going to refute the 50 that Alberta is mm-hmm. owed 53 percent of the asset and the person she's going to use to do it actually graduated uh, from you of Alberta. <laughs> so he's an, actua- he's an actuarial genius that works in Ottawa now, but is from Alberta. But you know, the math doesn't matter. It's the feelings that they can evoke. Because for example, in Brexit, the number one lie, there were so many lies, but the number one lie that people remembered is we pay 350 million pounds a week to the EU. Wouldn't that wouldn't that amount of money be better invested in the NHS? Two lies there. Um, Number one, they didn't pay $350 million net into the EU because the EU was constantly giving regional subsidies Mm -hmm. to uh, various places that were really struggling in terms of the economy within the United Kingdom. The difference was, you'll love this, they underestimated, I mean, they overestimated how much they gave to the EU by 53%. I'm wondering if that's where the number came from. (laughs) Instead of $350 million a week, it was $188 million a week. And instead of putting $350 million a week into the NHS, they put in a fraction of that. And when you look at their budget statement now, it's on the decline. So like, lies, 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 but repeat them enough. And you can actually wear down people's resistance because it sounds like maybe that works. So it isn't about actually the math. It's about who you trust presenting the math and how whipped up they get you emotionally to stand with them over an issue.
0: And the foundation, of course, is, as you say, Albertans generally, at least in government anyway, don't trust Ottawa. They don't trust Justin Trudeau. They don't trust Christian Freeland. Uh, so, in other words, it's it's easy for her, for Smith to say, uh, that's all BS. That's not the case. These are the real numbers. And Albertans are going to cling to that because they're going to say, yeah, she's on our side. Ottawa, look what Ottawa's done to us over the last 50
1: years hundred percent, but that is mostly true of older Albertans. So younger Albertans come from elsewhere and younger Albertans are the ones that are really scared. However, older Albertans are more likely to vote in a referendum. So Mm -hmm. this whole thing about the intergenerational consequences of lying and who actually gets riled up to vote and how the Remain side or the Leave side whips up interest enough to vote. I mean, don't forget for years, in, in the UK, the Brexit issue, the majority of people, a slim majority over half, but still over half of Brits were leaning in the direction of Remain. And it was only at the last minute that they got enough votes to tilt it over to 51.8% of the vote voted to leave. And now, if you were to ask them today, polls are saying that less than a third of Brits think it was a good idea. You know, they, there's a lot of regret that they leaned that far in the leave direction. So what we are talking about is politics. We are not talking about facts. We are not talking about economics. We are talking about raw emotion and how that gets harnessed by whom, for what end, is what you have to pay attention to.
0: I, I can remember talking to a couple of profs from from over there. It was the, the day after the referendum they announced. And, and, and he says, you know, the, the wake up call was, I think it was the very next day when they announced the results. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn says, oh, I just made all those numbers up. That's not really going to happen. And and people yeah. must have like, you know, this is like coming out, you know, the hangover the next day, like, oh, my God, what have we done? Uh, right. it, you'd hate to see that Albertans are going to do this. But is this part of of a a grander plan here, I mean, and I'm looking at what he's doing, what Scott Moe is trying to do with his legislation, which is running contrary to federal policies on so many issues. uh, It's happening in New Brunswick. Is there a concern here on your part that that this Canada that we have with uh, hopefully a strong central government is, is, I think there are people at play here, and Diane Smith is probably one of them, that are trying to turn this into 10 different governments. Uh, And then we'll just, you know, Basically, the message from all of them to the federal government is just give us the money and we'll, we'll have, do whatever we damn well please with it. We don't want any regulations. We don't want any partnerships. We run Alberta and, and just make, keep the to keep the dollars coming in. Uh, and Scott Moe seems to have the same idea. Uh, Doug Ford certainly seems to have the same idea. And, and there's rumblings in BC right now. Are, are you concerned about what could be the deterioration of, of, of what we know as Canada?
1: Without question. I think we are in a very dark period globally. There's this weird yeah. zeitgeist that's kind of everything seems everything that we used to know seems to be institutionally under attack. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a coincidence. I think there is there are a lot of vested interests as the global geopolitics change and spheres of influence change to destabilize uh, places like the United States and Canada is not that mm-hmm. far removed. We we are we are always late to the party. whatever's happening in the United States, but this this whole antipathy towards the federation has existed for a very long time. Oh yeah, and has been really uh, torqued in terms of emotion by conservative governments for decades. Uh, I mean, Mulroney lost the Meech Lake Accord, but we got the Meech Lake Accord through. The 1995 budget cuts mm-hmm. so you know we we have got this idea of just send us the money and no strings attached uh was something that provinces have been asking for since after the second world war where they sent the money to finance the war effort and then wanted it back and when they wanted it back they didn't want to be told how to build, rebuild a country uh they wanted to do it their own way there's pluses and minuses to that kind of depe- independence, but we are interdependent, or we will be absorbed by the United States. And, at, and or, you're right. You see the example. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But they see that example as you mentioned, because the United States is well the the ununited States, I guess uh, they are a Federation of 50 different governments. and we and we saw that with the federal elections. You know, there is no federal election for president. There are 50 elections in all the states, and those states control all this. I, I get the feeling and I don't want to be one to start conspiracy theories here. I mean, uh, but you know there are there are well, provinces like Alberta, even BC, certainly Quebec have been grumblings about what they want out of the federation and first of all logistically uh that's almost impossible because of the buy in that would have to happen we know that plus the fact that the, the government's going to play hardball with them uh are, are they concocting this master plan here to, to say all right we don't need to get out uh we just are going to bleed the federal government dry to, to the point where it becomes almost irrelevant. Uh, it's it's going to gather federal taxes, but we're going to do the, we're going to run our province. And Scott moe's going to run his province, and and we're just we're just going to be partners as opposed to participants in this democracy.
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell what direction this is. Going I, I to don't. In. First is of that, all, I
0: say I don't think they're so, that smart, that they're that they're that forward thinking. But it certainly or that they seems, can,
1: or that they can drive it that far. Yeah. But yeah. what they can do is support the election of a conservative prime minister and yeah. party. And I think that's partly what this play is about from, from Alberta, uh, and I think where the resistance from Scott Mo, where the resistance from conservative. Do you remember the resistance cover on Maclean's magazine? Right, yeah. there are several uh, conservative premiers who are in fact de facto more effective as an official opposition, not rhetorically. Pierre Poilievre is very effective as the as the head of the party that is waiting in the wings to form the next government Uh, but in terms of actually thwarting the uh federal liberals uh it's the premiers that will take their money and then refuse to do the things that that money is supposed to buy and i think right now the fight is over the carbon tax and so doing anything to weaken the authority of the federal government, including this, it just is a kind of pylon. What's the point of being part of a federation with this guy at the helm is the storyline. And I don't know what they would do if Poilievre came in because he has not supported thus far. Alberta separating from the CPP, you know what that means. This isn't just an Alberta story, whether you got the math right or wrong. As soon as Alberta leaves the CPP, the rest of us have to pay more into contributions or get less out. So to get the buy in from the seven provinces with 70 percent of the population would require those provinces to agree. Yeah, our voters should have to pay more and get and or get less or work longer just so that you can claim a political victory. It doesn't seem like it's in the cards, but it is just so in keeping with this political moment, which is anything federal stinks in these provinces. Yeah. And so we want out. And it's just a way of reinforcing that we want out narrative that we have, that, that is taking place with the carbon tax. That is, you know, it, it's just basically... I don't know how Poilier is going to play it if he forms the next government, if he leads the next government, whenever that takes place. And that's what we're talking about is that window. You know, there will be a federal election at least by 2025. Yeah. And if Alberta is successful in doing this thing they say they want to do, I don't know why they want to do it. But if they are successful in doing this thing they want to do, then Poilier would have to carry the can on that right? Not that yeah. the feds own the CPP. It is strictly a child of the provinces, like EI, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, in EI, the feds contribute more. And for CPP, the feds contribute in the form of OAS, old age security, and guaranteed income security. Because if you will remember what we said at the top, the average person pulls out $777 a month, from the time they are age 65, to this year in 2025, that's less than $10,000 a year. You can't survive on that. So you need the old age supplement and you need the GIS. And that's where the feds come in to put a floor under people. So they yeah. are not living in poverty when they are elderly, but the actual CPP bundle has not got a federal fingerprint on it, but the tone from the top totally matters.
0: Well, it's going to be fascinating. Even uh, as, as, Premier Smith, uh, sees the reaction from her so-called allies. Uh, You know, Scott and Doug Ford, and and the like, are they going to be okay with something like this? This It's actually going to be prohibitive uh, to their people in their provinces.
1: Well, well, not only that, 21% of uh, Albertans didn't like this proposal before the election, Mm -hmm. before her election as leader. And it's now dropped to below 20%. I think it's like 18.7%. It's not like her people want it either. I don't know who wants it. Well, who wants it are the people that want to really, uh, you know, drum on the tub that says Ottawa stinks.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we saw that in Ontario, didn't we, when Doug Ford first got elected here and decided to take the federal government on about uh, about carbon taxing and, and cap and trade and everything else. The overwhelming yep. majority of Ontarians were, were comfortable with it until yep. he decided to stick his nose in and cost us $30 million in legal fees to find out that he was wrong and we were right. Uh, boy, we could do this all day. I, I just love having you on the program to discuss these things. I mean, uh, the op-ed piece kind of got, yeah, I got to get Armin on to talk about this. It's it's always refreshing to, to get an uh, objective uh, perspective on these things. And uh, hopefully we can pick this conversation up as, as this story evolves.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate your insights and your questions, though.
0: Thank you so much. Armin Yelizian, uh, always a welcome guest anytime you want. Have a great day today. Take care. Too. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly podcast. Thanks for listening. And by the way, thanks for subscribing too. As always, we welcome your comments. You can reach us at thisisbillkelly at gmail.com. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What'd you like? What you didn't like? Uh, let us know what's going on. Until next time, I'm Bill Kelly. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Rebecca Wisons is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with the will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wisons, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wisons and Wisons Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizen's Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care.